In a six-year period of time, the national prevalence rate for autism spectrum disorder went from 1 in 166 to 1 in 88. This doubling in the diagnosis rate means that over 1.2% of the U.S. population under the age of 18 carries a diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder. This dramatic change in the prevalence rate not only has an impact on society, but has a significant economic impact on the U.S. medical system and the families caring for those with ASD. You're listening to ReachMD. I'm your host, Paul Rakuski, and with me today is Dr. David Mandel, Associate Director of the Center for Autism Research at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and John Bio, Epidemiologist and Principal Investigator for the Autism and Developmental Disabilities Monitoring Network at the Centers for Disease Control. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. Nice to be here. Thank you, Paul. So, John, my first question is to you. Can you tell us a little bit about your professional background? Yes. Uh, I'm a psychologist. Uh, I'm uh, also an epidemiologist here at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, uh, where I've worked for um, about 17 years. And uh, I work primarily in the area of developmental disabilities. And I am in the National Center on Birth Defects and Developmental Disabilities here at CDC. Uh, I'm also the principal investigator of the Autism and Developmental Disabilities Monitoring Network, which is a um, a group of funded sites that is throughout the United States that um, is funded to monitor autism and other developmental disabilities and the prevalence and characteristics of those conditions in the population. Uh, this program has been in existence now for uh, 13 years and we have reported several prevalence findings uh, from the Autism and Developmental Disabilities Monitoring Network, and the most recent, as you mentioned, uh, where we reported a prevalence of one in 88 children in these 14 communities who uh, have autism. So, Dr. Mandel, same question for you. Tell us a little bit about your professional background. So, my training is as a psychiatric epidemiologist and health services researcher, and I sit with one foot in the Center for Autism Research at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. I also direct the Center for Mental Health Policy and Services Research at the University of Pennsylvania. And uh, the goal of my research is to improve quality of care for people with autism in community settings and do this in two ways. One is uh, using large administrative data sets to understand how national and state policies affect healthcare and education delivery to people with autism. And we also partner with a lot of community agencies, including the School District of Philadelphia, the Early Intervention System, Departments of Behavioral Health, to figure out the best ways to implement evidence-based programs for people with autism in community settings so that they're effective and they sustain. So, John, you talked about this a little bit already, but you work in the Autism and Developmental Disabilities Monitoring Network, or the ADDM, I believe is the acronym you use, at the CDC. So what exactly are the responsibilities of this group? We actually refer to it as the ADAM Network. Uh, we pronounce the ADDM, the ADAM Network. And um, as I mentioned, we have um, currently have 12 sites that monitor the prevalence and characteristics of autism and other developmental disabilities in the population. And um, our study methods are uh, basically um, records-based. So we go into facilities that serve children who have autism and other developmental disabilities. And uh, these include a variety of healthcare facilities as well as educational facilities. And um, we basically uh, look at children's evaluation records 
and we monitor whether or not children meet the uh, symptom profile according to the DSM-4 uh, of the pervasive developmental disabilities. And we have a, a very strict uh, case definition that we follow, and uh, we basically just look for descriptions of these characteristics in, uh, in children's records. And if children meet what we call our autism case definition, uh, that is, they exhibit the behaviors that are consistent with a uh, DSM-4 diagnosis of autism, then they are uh, counted as having autism in our surveillance system. Uh, now, many of these children have a uh, clean diagnosis of autism, so uh, either a community provider has diagnosed them with autism or they're being served for an autism exceptionality in a special education program. And the number of children who have this community diagnosis has been increasing over time uh, as our prevalence has been increasing as well. Uh, so uh, basically the number of children who meet our case definition based on behavioral profile alone and do not have any community diagnosis of autism, uh, that number has been shrinking over time. And uh, this suggests that the communities are uh, expanding services and uh, expanding the um, capacity to provide that diagnosis and document that in children's records. So, John, I want to talk about the 2008 surveillance study design. Uh, where was this study conducted and with whom? And why does the ADAM focus on children aged eight years? Uh, the 2008 study was conducted in uh, 14 sites across the United States. And as I mentioned, these sites are, um, were funded based on a competitive review process. They were not selected to be nationally representative in any way. Uh, and these sites um, uh, are really throughout the U.S. We have some uh, western states as well as some northeastern states and some uh, southeastern states and some Midwest states. Uh, the, the range of prevalence in all of these states varies pretty widely. Uh, we've found um, a, a lower prevalence in some of the southeastern states and a higher prevalence in New Jersey and in Utah compared to some of the other sites. We monitor prevalence among eight-year-olds because this is the age that uh, we have identified as the, the age of peak prevalence. So most children by age eight uh, who have autism have been identified by this age. Now, certainly some children are identified after age eight, but we've chosen age eight because this is the age that uh, we feel that we get the, um, the maximum coverage and the maximum number of children who are being seen in, uh, in the educational system as well as in the healthcare facilities. If you're just joining us, you're listening to ReachMD. I'm your host, Paul Rakuski, and I'm speaking with Dr. David Mandel, Associate Director of the Center for Autism Research at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and Dr. John Bio, Epidemiologist and Principal Investigator for the Autism and Developmental Disabilities Monitoring Network at the CDC. We're talking about the national prevalence rates for autism spectrum disorder in the United States and the economic impact this neurological disorder has in the U.S., so, John, can you discuss the findings that you had from the surveillance study? Uh, sure. In the uh, 2008 prevalence study, uh, we identified one in 88 children in the 14 communities. And uh, the 14 communities, uh, the population base, represented a little over 8% of the total number of 8-year-old children living in the United States. 
and um, among these children, we identified um, a little over uh, 3,000 children with autism living in these communities, and that's how we reached our prevalence estimate of 1 in 88. Uh, now, some of the interesting things we were able to do with this study was uh, because we've been monitoring the prevalence of autism in, uh, in these communities since the early part of last decade, we were able to go back in time and compare the 2008 results with the results that were uh, generated in these communities uh, back in 2002 and back in 2006. When we compared the prevalence in 2008 compared to 2002, uh, we saw a 78% increase in prevalence over that time period, and um, the largest increases over time were identified in uh, black children, Hispanic children, and children without intellectual disability or children with an IQ above 70. Uh, historically, uh, the uh, characteristics of children with autism, uh, most of those children had a low intellectual uh, score, so IQ below 70. And we've seen a, a change in that trend to where now we're actually identifying more children with autism who don't have intellectual disability. Uh, likewise, uh, we've seen in our, uh, you know, throughout the time that we've done this study, uh, we've, we've thought that there was under-identification of uh, children of minority race and ethnicity. And um, we have actually seen, uh, over this time, we've seen that uh, that gap is closing somewhat. Still more white children are identified than the uh, children of minority race ethnicity. However, uh, we have seen some increase in that, uh, uh, in that population. And uh, we attribute this to uh, better diagnosis, better access to services, and uh, just better recognition of autism in those communities. So Dr. Mandel, you examined the economic costs in the study. What were your findings? So we did not examine the economic costs specifically from uh, this study, but have conducted a number of studies looking at um, the costs associated with children, uh, caring for children with autism. We know that the treatment recommended for these kids is often very intensive and expensive and in addition, these children often have um, a, a lot of ancillary health care problems uh, that require attention, and also because the service system for children with autism is often very fragmented and it's challenging for parents to get care, it often requires a lot of time on parents' parts to, uh, to get the care their children need, both to uh, argue with systems for the care that they need, to shepherd them around to different appointments, and to essentially case manage manage children's care. And we find that when we look at the health care costs of children with autism, they are anywhere from three to ten times that of uh, typically developing children. We've also uh, recently used a national survey called the Medical Expenditures Panel Survey to look at what happens to parents' uh, uh, labor force participation when, um, when they have a child with autism. And what we find is that compared to typically developing children, um, parents of children with autism, uh, especially mothers, are, are much more likely to drop out of the workforce 
with no change in father's employment. And so what that means is is uh, when you compare families of children with autism to families of, of other children, you see a 28% reduction in household income. When you combine this reduction in household income with the uh, additional expenses that families have, you're, you're looking at a huge economic toll associated with autism. So are you also seeing the same trend of dramatic increases in the economic costs of ASD on families that are parallel to the prevalence rates? Well, if if you multiply the number of people diagnosed with autism by the cost associated with each family, you see uh, a tremendous increase. So when one of the first uh, estimates of the national cost of autism was conducted in 2007, uh, Michael Gantz, who did that study, found that the cost of autism in the United States, the annual cost, was about $35 billion. When we redid that study um, using what we thought were pretty conservative estimates, we found that the cost of autism in 2011 was uh, $137 billion for the United States. So so you do see a dramatic increase. Um, It's challenging to to figure out how it's different for different families. So we know that the cost for parents of children with autism and intellectual disability is probably much higher than the cost for families of children with autism who don't have intellectual disability. And as John said, one of the places where we see the biggest increase in the number of children diagnosed with autism is among those who don't have intellectual disability. So we're still trying to figure out how that um, fits in to the total picture with regard to cost, but but I don't think the actual dollar amount for us as, as a country, it's an interesting number, and it's a good number to start a discussion about and to spark a sense of urgency in addressing the needs of children with autism and their families. But I think the, the bigger issue here is that families are just being put under a tremendous economic toll, um, and that that has both an effect on the family and an effect on the communities and society in which they live. And uh, it is in our enlightened self-interest, I think, to help these families um, deal with the many challenges they face in both raising a child with autism and navigating the multiple systems in which these children receive care. So have you come up with any conclusions on the economic impact ASD has on families, the U.S. medical system, and global economies? Well, the economic impact in the U.S., we think, is an additional $137 billion that we're spending on health care, education, long-term residential treatment for adults with autism, on the opportunity costs associated with parents dropping out of the workforce or being underemployed in order to take care of their children, um, and on lost productivity and wages uh, associated with individuals with autism themselves. I mean, one of the things we tend to forget, we tend to think of autism as a disorder of childhood, but this is a disorder that extends far into adulthood um, or completely into adulthood, and so most people with autism will spend the majority of their lives as adults. Um, and they incur a whole different set of costs and face a whole different set of challenges and need a whole different set of supports as adults than they did as children. John, Dr. Mandel, thank you both for joining me today. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. 
My thanks again to my guest, Dr. David Mandel, Associate Director of the Center for Autism Research at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and John Bio, Epidemiologist and Principal Investigator for the Autism and Developmental Disabilities Monitoring Network at the CDC. We've been discussing Autism Spectrum Disorder. Be sure to visit our website at reachmd.com, featuring podcasts of this and other series. I've been your host, Paul Rakuski, and thank you for listening.